Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, great to be here with you. For those who haven't heard me speak before, I do have a southern accent. <laughs> so make sure you get used to it. Actually, when we first came to America, I found that people said to me, it doesn't matter what you say, we just like to hear you saying it. So I just say anything, it's fine. Get away with it. Tonight, I want to bring a message uh, that's based on a book that I came up with recently called Divided Nation, Cultures and Chaos in a Conflicted Church. And it really is dealing with what has happened in our culture, why we're losing the younger generations in the church. Great to see a lot of young people in the audience tonight, but you know, that's sort of the exception. It is certainly not the rule across this nation. And then what is wrong with the church? Because much of the church is very lukewarm. It's not impacting the culture. And we see this culture changing before our very eyes. Let me start dealing with some of the issues. We have major issues in the church. There's an exodus from the church in America, in fact, our whole Western world. If you go to England, church attendance is down to about 4%. Do you realize back in the 1700s, 75, 80% of people in America attended church? Do you know where it's at right now? Do you see what's happening right now? If you come up to 2010, in 2010, Pew Research Center had this research here, and this research, they divided people into generations depending on when they were born. So the greatest generation, you know, they're the D-Day generation, not many of them left now, but 56% of them went to church. And then when you look at the silent generation, 44%, the baby boomers, I'm in the baby boomers generation, 32%, and then generation X, 27%, and then millennials, 18%, generation Z are now less than that. So you see what's happening? There's a generational loss from the church. And if you come up to 2021, this is the latest research from GSS Data Explorer, look at the bottom there, and you see that millennials and Generation X are now down to less than 9% church attendance. So we're seeing a catastrophic loss from the church. George Barna, Christian researcher, said this in 2018. Generation Z are the first truly post-Christian generation. You know what that means? You see, the Judeo-Christian ethic came out of the Bible. Many of the founding fathers were Christian, not all, but the Judeo-Christian ethic permeated the culture in America. And so even many non-Christians still had a Christianized worldview. And so in the past, even most non-Christians believed marriage was a man and a woman, that abortion was killing a human being, that there are only two genders in humans, male and female. But what we're seeing is that whole generations have come through an education system, the secular education system, throwing God out, the Bible out, prayer out, creation. Now it's teaching you can explain everything by natural processes. But one of the problems we've got, by the way, is that many Christians have been lulled into what's happening because they've been indoctrinated or brainwashed to think that secular means neutral. But there is no neutral position, right? The Bible says you're either for Christ or what? Against. You walk in light or darkness. You build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. There's no neutral position. That's why, you know, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, you often hear about them. They're a group of atheist bullies from Wisconsin that'll come in and they'll say, you can't have crosses and nativity scenes. That's imposing your Christian religion. So then we say, okay, we remove them. Now it's neutral. No, now they've imposed their religion of atheism. See, they claim that they don't have a religion. Atheists have a religion. Everyone has a religion. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight and help us understand that. And what's happened is we've had generations of kids come through a very increasingly atheistic education system and those who are going to church have come to churches. The trouble is the majority of our, our pastors, the majority of our Christian academics, not all, but certainly the majority, have said, you can believe what you taught at school, that's okay, they've totally endorsed all of that, we don't even need to believe in Genesis, you can believe in evolution, millions of years, just trust in Jesus, Johnny. But you see, the message of Jesus comes from this book. And if this book is not a true book of history, and if the first part can't be trusted, why should you trust the rest? And that's really what's happened. And so a lot of our Sunday school material has been what I call fluff and stuff Bible stories. You know what I mean? I mean, Jonah and the Great Fish, Feeding the 5,000, Paul's Missionary Journey. Now, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't teach that, but we need to be equipping young people with answers to defend the Christian faith and so that they won't be led astray by what the world is teaching. And much of the church has not done that, and we're losing those generations from the church. Even last week, an article came out 
Based on the latest research, Christianity in the US is quickly shrinking and may no longer be the majority religion within just a few decades. Well, I'd say it's no longer the majority religion in that sense, because now we have a culture that's permeated by moral relativism. And as we look at all this, we say, what has happened? I've had people say to me, okay, what has happened? Why has America changed like this? Well, it's very simple. You see, you take generations through that education system and teach them there is no absolute authority, the Bible is not true, that man determines truth, then ultimately anything goes. See, if man determines truth, who decides what's right and wrong? Who decides what's good and what's bad? It's all subjective. It all depends upon your feelings. Why should somebody have the same right and wrong as you? And when you have a culture that no longer has a worldview that comes from the Bible, and your culture has a worldview that comes from man, then ultimately anything goes except when anything goes, there's something that doesn't go. You know what it is? the absolutes of Christianity, because that's the conflict we have in our culture. To give you an example, you know, I've talked to some of these LGBT people, and they say, look, all we want is freedom for our views. Well, they don't. If you look at what's happening and what the politicians are doing, they don't want freedom for the LGBT worldview. They want total compliance and acceptance by everyone. That's really what's happening. But regardless of that, as I've talked to these people, they say, you Christians are intolerant. You Christians have hate speech. Why is that? Because you're not allowing all views. We just want an allowance of all views. I said, wait a minute, you're not allowing all views. Oh, yes, you are. We allow all views. What about the view based on the Bible that says they're wrong and there's only one marriage, a man and a woman, there's only two genders of humans, male and female, and that abortion is murder? What about that worldview? Oh, no, now you're intolerant. Now that's hate speech. Wait a minute, aren't you intolerant of our worldview? You see the clash? And people, this is a problem. A lot of Christians see that clash and they don't know how to deal with it because they don't understand that the reason for that is because they have different foundations. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. You know, our culture today really reminds me of Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what is right in his own eyes. When there's no absolute authority, everyone decides right and wrong for themselves. And you see, what we've seen is that God's word is no longer the absolute authority with the majority of people in this nation, in our whole Western world. So we have to ask ourselves, so why is this happening? And actually, here's the thing we need to also understand. What is happening today is nothing new. It's been going on for 6,000 years. We're just now seeing it in a way we haven't seen it before. You see, in a sense, in America, people have sort of been insulated to a degree from the spiritual battle that is roaring behind the scenes because the Judeo-Christian ethics sort of masked that. And there was a respect for the Bible, even if people weren't really Christians, and a, and a respect for Christianity and Christian morality and so on. But you know what? Over generation after generation, that Judeo-Christian ethic, it's like a curtain where it's being parted and pulled away, and now we're seeing the ugly battle that's raging behind the scenes has been raging ever since the garden. See, when God first created everything, he said it was very good. When he made the first man, he then gave him an instruction. See, there was no death or disease or suffering originally. In fact, the Bible calls death an enemy. It's an intrusion. One day it'll be thrown into the lake of fire. One day there'll be a time when there's no more death or suffering. But there wasn't any death, suffering and disease originally. But God didn't make Adam to be a puppet to force him to love him. He wanted him to love him because he wanted to. And we are descendants of Adam. We have his nature. He is the head of the human race. And, and so when God instructed him, he said, you can eat of all the trees, but as a test of obedience, there's one tree you're not to eat of, because if you do, you'll surely what? Die. Here's the point. Obey God's word. Obey God's word. Now what happened? The devil in the form of a serpent came and said, did God actually say? Stop right there for a moment. Do you know what, what the first attack was? Now think about this. The first attack was on the authority of the word of God. To get Adam and Eve to doubt God's word, doubt leads to unbelief. And then you will be like God. You decide truth for yourself. You decide right and wrong for yourself. You know, as you look at Genesis 3.1 there and Genesis 3.5, if you think about the fact we know we sinned in Adam and we have a sin nature, that sums up our sin nature. Our sin nature is that we will want to believe the word of man than the word of God. We would rather believe anything else than the word of God. And we want to be our own God to decide truth for ourselves. That's basically the sin nature. And so obey man's word 
And so a battle began between two religions or two foundations. See, when we talk about all the different religions in the world, in an ultimate sense, you distill them down and there's only two. It comes down to God's word, man's word, right? That's it. And see, when you start from God's word, you build a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, a way of thinking that's Christian. I found that most Christians in our churches don't understand this. They really don't get it. They sort of look on the Bible more as a guidebook to life. It's a book of spiritual things, moral things, relationships. It's sort of, sort of here and then we have to deal with all these issues out here. Do you know what this is? This is a revelation from the one who knows everything, who's always been there. In Christ they hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this is a revelation from the one who is infinite knowledge and wisdom, who's revealed to us the key information we need to enable us to have the right foundation to build the right worldview to correctly understand the world. See, years and years ago when we first started this ministry, I remember people would say to me, but how do you fit dinosaurs with the Bible? Well, you don't. You use the Bible to explain dinosaurs. You see, what they're doing is, oh, look at this world. How do we take this and fit this into the Bible? No, 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 you, you don't understand. This is a revelation from God who's given us the key information to build the right way of thinking. God made all the land animal kinds on day six, two of each land animal kind, seven pairs of some got on board Noah's Ark. The word dinosaur was invented in 1841, and the word dinosaur is sort of an arbitrary term where we've taken a number of different animal kinds and we say we're going to call them dinosaurs. See, when you start from God's word, we also know all the animals were vegetarian to start with, Genesis 1, uh, verse 30, and we know that there was no death to start with, and we know because of Noah's flood, you'd have all these bones all over the world, so fossils would primarily come from the flood. See, once you have the right foundation, you build the right way of thinking to understand things. One, one of the issues I find a lot of Christians are perplexed about how you deal with all these different issues we have today, because they don't think the right way. If you have trained yourself to start thinking from the Bible, we have the key information to make sure we have the right way of thinking, and you've got the big picture explanation for everything. Everything. I want to show you that tonight as we go through. You see, another example. What's one of the big questions of the day that you hear from the atheists? How can there be a loving God? Look at all the death and suffering and disease in the world. How do you fit that with a loving God? If you start from God's word, you realize there was no death and disease and suffering to start with. That's because of our sin. It's not God's fault. It's an enemy because of our sin, right? What about all the different races of people in the world? How do you explain that? No, no, no. Start from God's word. How many people were there to start with? Two, Adam and Eve. They had sons and daughters, Genesis 5-4. By time of the flood, lots of people. Eight got on that ship, came off that ship, went through an event called the Tower of Babel and formed the different people groups. So that means we all go back to Adam and Eve. There's only one race anyway. There are the different races. If you've got the right foundation, you have the right way of thinking. And you see, if you don't start from God's word, there is only one other foundation. You start from man's word. And when people take a man's word of evolution of millions of years and add it into the Bible, your starting point then is man's word because it's fallible. And you build a whole different way of thinking. One of the problems that I've seen is the majority of our Christian schools, for instance, use primarily secular textbooks. But how do you Christianize a secular worldview when the foundation is wrong? You can't start from the top down and Christianize something that's wrong from the foundation up. And we have generations of kids come through an education system where they've got this foundation and many of them in the church don't even realise they do and then we're trying to put Christianity on top of that and wonder why it doesn't stand. You know, it's one of the reasons why our eldest daughter, who was a nurse and she really wanted to be in the ministry and, and uh, she, she came to us about five years ago and said, Dad, I want to start a real Christian school that teaches, a true Christian school, teaching a biblical worldview and a discipleship school to help parents train their children and equip them to stand in this world. And so we're developing uh, Christian worldview curricula and we have our own Christian school and so on. See, because people don't understand this, I find in the church, many people come to me and they say, how do we deal with all these problems? We've got all these problems in the world. I mean, uh, it, it's too overwhelming. You've got to deal with the gay marriage problem. You've got to deal with the abortion problem. You've got to deal with the racism problem. have to deal with the gender problem. How, how do we do all that? Well, that's the wrong way to think. Do you realise they're not different problems? Do you realise all of them are the same problem? 
They're different symptoms of the problem. The problem is they've got the wrong foundation or starting point of man's word. That's why when you come into the Creation Museum, you'll see the first series of exhibits teaches you those two foundations and the right way to think. And then we say our foundation is God's word, and then we go through and teach you a true biblical worldview. And by the way, if they are the same problem, you know what that also means? They all have the same solution. So what's the solution? Now here's where a lot of Christians, I think, get it wrong as well. And I have to put some caveats here so you don't misunderstand me. Because a lot of Christians think, oh, the solution is get legislation passed in regard to abortion, to outlaw abortion, and in regard to Christian marriage and so on. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this, but that's not the solution. You see, you can't legislate morality ultimately, right? Years ago, one of the things that I said was, look, if you get legislation passed against abortion, when another administration come in, they'll just change the legislation back again. And you've seen that happening, haven't you? Swapping backwards and forwards. Because it has to do with worldview. That's the whole point. Now, don't get me wrong in that I applaud Christians who run for office. And as politicians, I have a few great friends who, who are politicians uh, who stand on God's word and want to be salt and light and, and their worldview affects the way they vote for things. So we want that, right? But we have to understand ultimately the solution is people need to put their faith and trust in God's word in the saving gospel. That is the solution. And that's why with the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum and what we do in Answers in Genesis, we're doing what we do in answering these questions to point people to the truth of God's word, to see people saved, who will build a true Christian worldview, to be the Christians that they should be. You see, there's another aspect of this that I want to talk about tonight too, and that is God's word is not just the foundation for our thinking, it begins with Genesis 1 to 11. Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for the rest of the Bible, for our Christian worldview, for all doctrine, for the gospel, for everything. Now, if what I'm saying is correct, I want you to think about this. What's happening in the majority of churches? Most pastors are ignoring Genesis 1 to 11, haven't taught it, say it doesn't matter, say you can believe in evolution millions of years. If what I'm saying is correct, here's a major problem for the church. Most generations haven't been taught the foundation to think the right way or for their doctrine, for the gospel, so they won't understand Christianity. And they won't be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The battle in today's world is a battle between those two foundations. Now, there's another aspect of this that is very important for us. See, this this is all the introduction. I haven't even started my talk yet, uh, just so you know that. So, if you jump over to the New Testament... The Apostle Paul, and this is God's word, all scripture is inspired by God. It's the word of God, not just the word of men. But the Apostle Paul has a warning for us, and I'll paraphrase it for you. I want to warn you that just as the serpent deceived Eve, the devil's going to use the same method on you, on your kids, on your grandkids, that he used on Eve to get us to a position of not believing the things of God. If we're told, if we're warned that the devil's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve, you know what that means? We should be saying to ourselves, I need to know what that method is. I need to make sure I'm preparing my Sunday school classes, my church, my youth groups, and my children, my grandchildren, so that they won't succumb to this method. So what was the method? Oh, by the way, if it was Eve, you've got to go back to Genesis, haven't you? And what was the method? Did God actually say, did God really say... Here's what we're being warned. The devil's method is going to be to get you to doubt the word of God. There's going to be an attack on the word of God so that that doubt will lead to unbelief. And another aspect of this is that the attack has never changed. There's always been an attack on God's word since Genesis 3. But it manifests itself in different ways in different times. And we need to say to ourselves, okay, how does the Genesis 3 attack manifest itself today? Because that's one of the things I think much of the church has missed in America. I find a lot of the churches in the Bible Belt areas, they're preaching and teaching as if it's the same type culture that it was generations ago. And they're looking and not understanding and they haven't understood the way in which the attack has occurred which is why they're losing younger generations from the church. A lot of those churches in the Bible Belt areas have mainly the older generation in them. The others are gone. 
And we're seeing the church in the sense of church numbers at church and local church. We're seeing that shrinking in America. Let me give you a little hint here. When Peter and Paul were preaching in the first century, preaching about the resurrection, for instance, do you think anyone came to them and said, that's all very well and good, but what about carbon dating? (laughs) No, because carbon dating is a 20th century invention. Do you think when Martin Luther nailed those theses on the door of the church in the 16th century, someone came to him and said, that's all very well and good, Dr. Luther, but what about dinosaurs? Did they go in the ark? Well, the word dinosaur wasn't invented until 1841, right? My point is that down through the ages, people have had to deal with all sorts of attacks on God's word. So we need to be asking ourselves, how does that attack manifest itself in the time we live in? Here's an interesting thing. I've travelled around the world for the past 40 years. And even, it doesn't matter what country you're in, and you can be in a third world country, and I've been in some of those, when people hear that you're on about the Bible, you're on about Christianity, you're on about the Gospel... I find today they ask the same basic sorts of questions. And they sort of go like this. Well, don't we live in a scientific age? Well, hasn't science disproved the Bible? Well, how do you know the Bible is true? What evidence is there for God? Who made God? You believe in Adam and Eve? Where did Cain get his wife then? How did all the races come about? If there are only two people to start with? And where's the evidence for the flood? And don't fossil layers prove millions of years in evolution? We know man evolved from ape-like creatures. How could the story of Adam and Eve be true? How can you believe in a loving God with all the death and suffering in the world? Didn't dinosaurs live millions of years ago and evolved into birds? How can Noah fit all the animals on the ark? Hasn't science proved evolution is true isn't the bible just an outdated book of mythology just for interest how many of you have heard those sorts of questions oh that's a shock it's basically all of us of course you've heard them because you know what you're telling me i know what the genesis 3 attack type questions are of our day and you know what's happened in many churches oh don't worry about that well you can believe in evolution well they're just red herrings just trust in jesus johnny Do we see those questions being dealt with in most Sunday school literature and Bible study literature and and youth group literature and and VBS? No, in most of them we don't. They're still acting as if people have a respect for the Bible and believe the Bible and wonder why we're losing the younger generations. Here's what I'm going to say to us. The era we live in right now began in the 1800s. For those that were here to hear Dr. Mortensen this morning, he talked to you about where the idea of millions of years came from. See, what happened in the 1800s, there were atheists, deists, people who rejected God's word, who said, we don't believe in the flood of Noah's day, we don't believe in the Bible. How do you explain the fossils? Well, they were laid down millions of years before man. That's where the idea of millions of years came from. Man's belief about the past. They didn't see the layers being laid down. And... When that happened back in the 1800s, here's a sad thing, and this is a key to understanding what's happened to the church. There were church leaders, for instance, Thomas Chalmers, the founder of the Free Church of Scotland, said, you know what, we can take the millions of years and add them into the Bible in a gap between the first two verses, and he invented what became known as the gap theory. Who's heard of the gap theory, by the way? Oh, yes, it's permeated our churches. The Schofield Reference Bible, Newbury Reference Bible, it's permeated Christian colleges and Bible colleges. And we thought, oh, there's nothing wrong with that, taking man's religion, because that's what it is, man's belief about the past and putting that into the Bible and putting millions of years of death and suffering before God said everything was very good, and even in the fossil record there's evidence of cancer and other diseases, which means all of that was there before sin, and God calls it all very good. See, people didn't think through the compromise that was happening here. Others said, oh, we'll add it into the days of creation. We'll reinterpret the days. It's interesting. I find most churches, most leaders, and many people aren't prepared to stand on God created everything in six days, just like the context there in Genesis 1 teaches us very clearly. And so the day-age theory came about. There are all sorts of other ways in which people tried to fit the millions of years into the Bible. Notice, starting outside of Scripture to fit it into the Bible. And then there was a man called Charles Darwin who said, if you've got millions of years in geology, let's apply that to biology. He said, we know that animals change. By the way, animals change. They do. Dogs change into dogs. Cats change into cats. (laughs) Elephants change into 
elephants. Yeah. Now, you can have all sorts of changes within a kind because there's great variety, diversity. God put in our DNA, but dogs remain dogs, cats remain cats. But Darwin said, given enough time, one kind of animal will change into another, eventually ape-like creatures into people. And you know what many leaders said? Oh, we'll say God used evolution. And so then the idea of theistic evolution started to permeate. And then along came the Big Bang, and there were Christian leaders who said, in the beginning God created. That could be the Big Bang. I've had many Christians say to me, why couldn't God have used the Big Bang? And by the way, it's not a matter of what God could have done, it's a matter of what God said he did, right? Plus, here's the thing. The Big Bang came out of the religion of atheism to explain the universe by natural processes without God. Why would you want to take something like that and add it into the Bible? And then if you look at it carefully, the Big Bang has the stars forming, and then the sun, and then the earth is a hot molten blob that cools down for millions of years before there's water. Wait a minute, you read the Bible, God made the earth first covered with water. There was light on day one, we're not told where it came from, but we're told the sun, moon and stars were made on day four, and they were to be the light bearers from that time onwards. So you see, you can't fit the Big Bang with the Bible. And then over time, all these different positions, this is just a few of them, all arose in the church. If you go out and talk to pastors, you talk to Christian colleges, Bible colleges, compromised positions on Genesis permeate the Christian world. People have said to me, well, what's your position? Oh, the biblical one. Because I start from the Bible. You know the interesting thing? Every one of these compromised positions, when you distill it down, is trying to fit man's belief of millions of years into the Bible. Every single one of them. And see, what I'm saying to us is this. The attack in our era that began in the 1800s is a particular attack on God's word aimed specifically at the first 11 chapters of the Bible. Because you notice those questions pertain to origins and science and the history. Actually, do you know what's happened in our day? The Bible has been attacked as a book of history and the history in Genesis 1 to 11 has been the focus of that attack. Christianity is based in history. The devil knows you get rid of the Bible as a book of history. And you think about it, a lot of our Sunday school materials and other materials that are used in a lot of churches teach the Bible stories. Actually, I even object to using the word story anymore in regard to the Bible. Because you see, the word story now means fairy tale. And so kids get the idea, we have Bible stories at church, real stuff at school. You see, we've got major problems. And we haven't been teaching the Bible as a book of history, and we've neglected the teaching of the first 11 chapters. And so the question is, what can we do? And this is where I start my talk. Because <laughs> I needed to give you all that introduction, and now you can start timing it from now. <laughs> so this is where we start, okay? So what can we do? Some of you are a little worried, aren't you? <laughs> hey, what are you going to do when you go home? Go sleep? Watch TV? No, 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 we're going to stay here. So I'm going to tell us that and I've got more than these in the book, The Divided Nation. But these are the two major things, and the two of the major emphases of the Ministry of Answers in Genesis, the Ark, the Creation Museum, the Bible of God has raised up for this time. Thinking foundationally with apologetics. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you don't have the right foundation, then the rest collapses. And... Always be prepared to make a defense or answer. The word defense or answer comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetics, which doesn't mean apologize for your faith. It means to, to give a logical reason defense of the faith. And so the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum, are filled with exhibits that do just that. And in fact, a centerpiece of the Creation Museum, and this was always my burden when we started talking about the Creation Museum, uh, what happened was uh, eventually we received an, an email from a man called Patrick Marsh who was in Japan at the time. He worked for Universal Studios, designed King Kong Jaws exhibits. He um, worked in theme parks around the world and he heard we are building a creation museum and he, he wrote to us and said, I'm a Christian, I'm a creationist, can I please come and design your exhibits? And then Patrick came and such a world-class designer I handed him the script for what I call the seven seas of history. In other words, I recognize it. As I started to speak, my first creation apologetics talk was given in 1975. That's a long time ago, isn't it? There's a lot of you weren't even born then. And the ministry uh, that we started in Australia began in 1977, actually. 
And I found that as I was speaking in churches, not only did so many Christians not know they could believe Genesis and, and didn't know what to do with evolution and so on, but I realized that, that if people didn't have this linear view of history and understand this happened, then this, then this, then this, they won't understand the world around them. And so I wrote this script on the seven seas, a perfect creation, marred by sin, death as a consequence, the promise of the saviour, and then the catastrophe of Noah's flood. That's why there are fossils all over the world, a picture of Jesus, one door in the ark, the Tower of Babel, God gives different languages that explains the different people groups. God's son steps into history to be the God-man, fulfilling the promise of the saviour in Genesis 3.15, died on a cross because death was a penalty for sin, raised from the dead. And one day is going to be a consummation and we're in that last part of history right here. As I tell people, we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years, ever since God's son stepped into history. And, you know, I hate this here. I can't find it. Where is it? it just, there we are. So we're here. Maybe here. We're somewhere there. Okay. And we are in the last days. We just don't know how last we are. We just know we're more last than we were yesterday. And that's why, for me, when people say, when people talk to me about, do you think Jesus is coming soon and so on, I say, you know what the Bible says? The Bible tells us to be all about the business of the king till he returns. And the fact is, most of the church has lost the foundation they need to have in Genesis while we're losing younger generations. We should be out there dealing with this, right? And so Patrick, who went to be with the Lord last year, actually, because of him, all these other world-class designers said, we want to use our talents for the Lord. And some of them used to work for Disney. And they, and they come along, and the Lord has enabled us to build our own design studio, which is absolutely amazing. These guys are so talented. You look at the exhibits, it's just it's mind-blowing when you, when you see all that and what God has done. But here's the thing I want us to understand. See those first four Cs, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion? Do you realize that's Genesis 1 to 11? And that's the history in geology biology, astronomy, anthropology, that the world says is not true, that most Christians say you don't have to believe it, and yet that's the foundation for everything. And here's what I want us to understand. When you want to deal with any issue, any issue, as Christians, you say, how do we deal with it? You need to be thinking, I've always got to start with Genesis 1 to 11. That's the revelation God has given us to give us the key information we need. You start with Genesis 1 to 11. You start with that foundation to build your world view. See, for the secularists, it's so obvious to them. Oh, there's no God, everything happened by natural processes, Big Bang, evolution. Therefore, all those things, their worldview just logically comes out of that. No God, we decide right and wrong. Uh, we can define marriage however we want. We can do whatever we want with gender. It's obvious to them. But to the Christian, I find many of them say, how do we deal with all these issues? It's a big puzzle. How do you deal with, with marriage and the gospel and creation and abortion and the age of the earth and death? And, so, how, and they're saying, how do we put all this together? Wait a minute. If you believe the literal history in Genesis 1 to 11 and have that as the foundation for your worldview, it is not a puzzle. It's not a puzzle at all. It all comes together. And I want to show you that. And that's what I want to deal with is the last portion of my talk. By the way, when I say last, you know what I mean about last days. We just don't know how last we are. So <laughs> I, I just want you to understand that, right? So I'm going to ask you a question. In fact, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. We're going to pretend we're in school, and you're going to call the answer out to me. Now, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to give you the answer. And I'm going to make it even easier for you. Every question I ask you is going to have the same answer. Is that easy enough? Now, here's the answer. And I want us all to say it together. You ready? One, two, three. You start with Genesis 1 to 11. Do you think you can remember those four words there, basically? Think you remember that? Okay. So the first thing we're going to do is... Oh, gender. Let me ask you a question. Right? This is a very hard question. How do you deal with gender? What do you think the answer is? I even put it on the screen to help you see. Okay, so let's do that. Genesis 1.27, God made man in the image of God. Male and female, he created. I get this distinct impression there's only two genders. It's male and female. 
Oh, in Genesis 5 too, it says again, male and female, he created them. Oh, right through the Old Testament, you read phrases like male or female. Oh, jump over to the New Testament. Jesus, as the Son of God, the God-man, when asked about marriage, said, haven't you read? He who created them at the beginning made them male and female. He's quoting the text of Genesis 1.27. And he does it again in Mark 10. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Here's a point I want to make to us. If we truly believe this is God's word, and we truly believe the history in Genesis 1 to 11, regardless of what the world says about this exception, that exception, and what about this, what about, regardless of any of that, if we start from God's word and believe that, how many genders are there of humans? There's only two. Are we prepared to do that regardless of what the world says? Now, this is where apologetics is great too, because you see... Science confirms that. For instance, we are built of 23 pairs of chromosomes and we have a pair of sex chromosomes. And males, their pair is X and Y and females are X and X. Wow. Science confirms two genders. We can actually define what a woman is. (laughs) Well, some of you are a little slow, you know. You could go and tell Kamala Harris and people like that. You could be a witness. Now, here's the problem. The world is... See, this is the other thing we need to do. We need to be teaching generations, here's what the Bible says, giving them some answers and giving some apologetics can really help, right? And And then, what is the world saying? Here's what they're going to say to your kids. Ah, but there are exceptions. Some people have two X's and a Y. Some have three X's. What do you do... How do you explain that then? Oh, oh! by the way, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but if you want to explain those so-called exceptions, you would... Oh, start with Genesis 1 to 11. Yes, it was a perfect world, but now because of man's sin, now God judged with death, and so everything runs down, and God no longer holds everything together perfectly, so now there are mistakes or mutations... And that can occur not just in sex chromosomes, but other chromosomes as well and cause all sorts of problems, but that doesn't negate the created order. But we live in a fallen world and we've got to understand it's not going to be perfect. Romans 8, the whole creation groans, right? And incidentally, those so-called exceptions are a fraction of 1%, which tells you it's something... You know, that doesn't negate the created order. There's something else going on. We know what it is. It's, it's the fall. It's, it's the groaning world because of sin. And there's one other aspect. Because people say, but, but I feel that I should be a woman. I feel that I'm another gender. I don't know how many genders there are. I mean, it'll probably double tomorrow. But there's all these genders out there. Do you know what we should understand as Christians when people say, but I've got these feelings. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So once again, understanding the fall of man and our sin nature means you can't trust your feelings. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that goes good. You can't trust your feelings. So, so how do we, how, what do we do with these feelings? You judge them against the absolute authority of the word of God. And you make sure that you submit yourself to God's word regardless. And he promises, he's not going to allow us to be tempted above what we're able. In Christ we can overcome those temptations, is what the scripture says. If you go to Genesis 4, you know where God was talking to Cain. And he warned Cain, Cain, sin desires you. In other words, don't let your sin nature master over you. And Cain did, and he killed his brother Abel. Don't let your sin nature master over you. But see, people aren't going to understand this until they recognize they are sinners. You see, it comes down to the truth of God's word. And that's what's got to happen. Okay, well, let's try another one. You've done, you've got 100% in your test so far. Okay, so how do we deal with marriage? Answer? Okay, so the Bible says God made man his image, male and female he created them. And he made man from dust. There are many leaders that will tell you that represents the ape God breathed into to become a man. The Bible says from dust we come and to dust we return when we die. We do not return to an ape man. So he made man from dust and he says it's not good that man should be alone. See, only humans were made in the image of God. 
That's why God brought the animals to Adam to name to show there were none like him. He didn't look at a female chimp and say, you know, she's close enough, I could date her or something like that. <laughs> and so God put Adam to sleep and from his rib made a woman. You know, I can't believe the number of times I've had people say to me, well, if that's true, why don't men have one less rib than a woman? In my mind, I think, what a stupid question that is. <laughs> I don't say that. I think it. Just remember that when you ask me questions, I think lots of things. <laughs> I don't necessarily say them. But think about this for a moment. So if a man has an accident and loses his leg and then gets married and has kids, they're all going to have one leg. See why it's a stupid question? That's to do with genetics, right? And so then God made the woman from the man. Oh, interesting. Paul in the New Testament says woman came from man. Not from an ape woman. You can't add evolution to the Bible. And then Adam got all poetic and romantic. And this is the first recorded words of Adam. You are bone of my bone. You are flesh of my flesh. You'll be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Hey, I tell guys, hey, Valentine's Day comes around, provide the cancel culture, don't cancel it. But if we still have Valentine's Day, you know, take your, your girlfriend or your wife out to dinner, nice restaurant, sit them down at the table, look them in the eye, rip the mask off, make sure it's the right woman. <laughs> People wouldn't have understood that a couple of years ago. And then you look them in the eye and you say, I want to be like Adam when he was perfect. You are bone of my bone flesh of my flesh. You are woman. Anyway, you can see what happens. <laughs> At least I would know you can define a woman. At least I would know that, right? And then the next verse, Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and how fast and they'll be one flesh. Do you, you realize what that is? That's the creation of marriage. Who created marriage? Not Joe Biden or the Supreme Court justices or Congress. You know who created marriage? God did. Do you realize right now the House of Representatives has already passed this and they're trying to get it uh, to come to the Senate and Chuck Schumer's been really trying to get this to come to the Senate. It looks like it's not going to come until after the midterms and both parties have been voting for this to, for the first time in America's history to totally redefine marriage. And people, it's all part of that increasing anti-Christian worldview that's permeating the culture. You see, God created marriage. If you're not a Christian and you believe in marriage, why? It comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from anywhere else. You jump over to the New Testament. We had the, this first part before when Jesus answered when asked about marriage. Haven't you read? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female, Genesis 1.27. But then look at this. He quotes the text of Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold to his wife and they'll be one flesh. In other words, a history in Genesis is the foundation for marriage. You imagine all these younger generations gone through churches where they said Genesis doesn't matter, it's not important. They don't teach Genesis 1 to 11. Most do not. Or they compromise with evolution of millions of years. No wonder they're impacted by the world. And if they're told you can start with the world's ideas of evolution of millions of years and add that to the Bible, why shouldn't you take the world's view of marriage and add that to the Bible? Incidentally, you know what this means? There's no such thing as gay marriage. See, we often talk about, oh, gay marriage. When I write about gay marriage, you put marriage in quotes. Because it is not marriage. Right? They can call it gay union, they can call it whatever they want. But it is not marriage. There's only one marriage, the one God created. People, we need to make sure we're thinking the right way about these things. And you see, not just marriage. Do you realise ultimately every single biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11? You ever thought about this? Where's the origin of sin? Genesis 1 to 11. Death, Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is he called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is marriage a man and a woman? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we wear clothes? Because animals don't. God gave clothes because of sin. Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven-day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why does man have dominion? Genesis 1 to 11. Why does man have to work? Genesis 1 to 11. Do you think Genesis 1 to 11 is important? It's the foundational history for everything. And yet most churches don't believe it or teach it. Very, very sad. Well, let's do a couple more. Maybe three, four, five, six. <laughs> How do you deal with abortion? What's the answer? <laughs> exactly. You, you're doing good. God created man in his own image. 
What's that got to do with abortion? Everything because, you see, man is not an animal. I've heard people say, get rid of spare cats, get rid of spare kids, what's the difference? We're just animals anyway. How did God make the animals? Let the earth bring forth the living creatures. How did he make man? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see, humans were made different to the animals. And let them have dominion over the creation. Oh, that's a whole, that's a whole other issue. We could get sidetracked on this one. What do you notice about a lot of politicians today? They want the creation to have dominion over us, right? But no, we're to have dominion over the creation. And so, you, and, and the other aspect of it is, if you want to have a correct view of the environment and what we should do with the environment, you've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11. What do you notice about a lot of the modern environmentalists? They look on everything natural as good. Right? So don't clear out the brush in California. Make sure you just leave it there. And if fires come, they're good. But wait a minute. Everything is not good. It's cursed. Everything's suffering from sin. It's a fallen world. And it's important for us to look after the creation because God gave us dominion to do that. And so if we can clean out the brush and protect the forests and so on and look after it for man's good and for God's glory, we should do that. But you see, you have the wrong foundation, you have the wrong worldview, it results in catastrophism. Right? It's the same for climate change. People say to me, do you believe in climate change? Of course I believe in climate change. It changes all the time. Right? I mean, the Sahara Desert was once lush, it's not anymore. Do you know the Vikings used to farm Greenland? Right? People think it's bad that the ice, the ice might melt in Greenland. Why? It was good for the, for the Vikings. Right? And you see, I, I, people say to me, wait a minute. The tornadoes this year. We had tornadoes. You'll notice that the, a lot of the politicians, anytime now there's a hurricane or tornado or whatever it is, climate change, climate change. Did you know there were more tornadoes in the 70s? Did you know sunspot activity affects climate in a big way? Actually, do you know the major cause of climate change? The flood. Noah's flood generated an ice age. The flood changed our climate. So it was a devastating effect on the earth. And then it generated an ice age. And the ice age peaked. And we're in the receding parts of the ice age. And climates will continue to change. But here's the thing we need to understand. These politicians, what's the countdown clock now? The doomsday clock says what? We're going to destroy the earth in six or seven years or something? You know, that politician AOC says, we're, we're going to destroy the earth. What does God promise in Genesis 8.22? While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, we're summer and winter, day and night will not cease. She's talking nonsense. And other nonsense. Okay, so where was I? Oh, let's go on here. Okay, so man is different to the animals. You know, um, I was told as a science teacher to teach six kingdoms of life, but one of the things I've started to think in recent times is why should we just conform to what the world does? Because, you see, man is in the animal kingdom. But if we make the criteria made in the image of God, shouldn't humans be separate? You see, as you start to think about that, I'm going to suggest to you humans should be separate. If you go to the Cincinnati Zoo, which is just across the river from the Creation Museum, you visit the ape enclosure, they tell you you're visiting your family. They do. Look, all in the family. And here's what they say. We are not, after all, the only beings with personalities, rational thought and emotions. There is no sharp line dividing us from chimps and other apes. Humans are a part of, not separate from the animal kingdom. The emphasis in this era is to teach kids you're just an animal. By the way, no sharp line dividing us from the chimps. I don't know. Every zoo I go to has a really sharp line. <laughs> Why shouldn't we teach the seven kingdoms of life? Now... DNA, that molecule of heredity that builds all life, filled with information and a code system and so on. In reproduction, you get a set of DNA from the male, one from the female, fertilization. This is part of our fearfully, wonderfully made exhibit at the Creation Museum. Do you realize that fertilization, you have a unique combination of information different to the mother and different to the father and different to any other human being ever? And as that fertilized egg develops and builds our body, no new information is ever added, which means you are 100% you, made in God's image, right from fertilization. So abortion is killing a human being right from fertilization. 
Do you know what God's word says about this? You knitted me together in my mother's womb, even before your body was formed. You're being woven together, which is a great description of how it happens. But you knitted me together. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Even when your body wasn't formed, it was still unformed. It was you. It, it's a human being. But what, the, what is the world telling us today? My body, my rights. Don't you hear that all the time? Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States, what did she tweet? The right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable. The right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is their decision. It is their body. She has no idea about science or anything else. I mean, you, you think about it right here, okay? Do you realise a fertilised egg has a different combination of information to the woman's body? How can it be part of the woman's body? It's a different combination of information. And not only that, if it's a male, it has the Y chromosome. That's not part of a woman's body. And here's the interesting thing. You know, if you have a kidney transplant, your body says that this is foreign tissue to reject, and you have to take anti-rejection drugs, a fertilised egg is looked on by a woman's body as foreign tissue to reject. And God built an anti-rejection mechanism in the uterus. Isn't that phenomenal? You know, the, the sad thing is, I had a young lady come out at the museum um, a, a couple of years ago, and I'd say she was late teens, and she looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I was brought up in the church all my life. No one ever taught me uh, about being, being made in, uh, in God's image. No one taught me about DNA. And uh, no one taught me uh, about we're different to the animals and so on. And, and she said, what if someone like me has had an abortion? And I said, you know what? God is a God of grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. And in our exhibit, we, we teach because we know there are women that come through there that are so convicted and they get emotional and we, we tell them, but God says if you confess your sins, he's, uh, he forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He promises to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west and he promises to remember them no more. And then she had that big smile on her face and said, thank you, that release because of that. I encourage you to come and see at the Creation Museum our fearfully wonderful made exhibit. The new one opens October 9th and it, we have a six-foot-tall baby and a six-foot uterus and placenta and... <laughs> See all, these models, see all these models here? You can't even see models like that anywhere else in the world. They're absolutely extraordinary. Our own designers did those. You'll see the organs working inside the models. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. So you've got to come to the Creation Museum now. Okay, let's go on here because we've only got about an hour and a half left. So how do we deal with death, suffering and disease? What's the answer? Exactly. The origin of death, that second, we're only up to the second C. We've got seven of them. Now that will make you worried. So, corruption. When God made everything, is very good. Adam, if you eat of that fruit, you will die. Adam ate the fruit, the origin of sin, the origin of death. What did God do? He made garments of skins and clothed them, the origin of clothing. At the Creation Museum, when you come through, you'll see the sacrifice scene, the first blood sacrifice, the covering for the sin, a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was pointing to the one who would die on a cross. Genesis 3.15 is the promise of the Saviour. And this is really pointing to the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood represents life because death was a penalty for sin. There has to be giving of life to pay the penalty for sin. But the blood of bulls and goats can't take away our sin. God set up that sacrificial system. The Israelites sacrificed animals over and over again. But you see, an animal's blood can't take away our sin. A man brought sin and death into the world. A man needs to pay the penalty for sin. But we're all descendants of Adam. That means we're all sinners. There's only one race. And so one of us has to pay the penalty for sin. But we're all sinners. We can't do that. So God steps into history 2,000 years ago, as the babe in a manger, the promised saviour from Genesis 3.15, to be the God-man, the perfect man, to die on a cross, because death was a penalty for sin, be raised from the dead, and offers a free gift of salvation. Wow. You see, our bodies die, but we're not like the animals. You know, in Ecclesiastes, it seems to say an animal's body, the animal returns to the dust. But we are made in the image of God. We have a soul that lives forever. And we'd be separated from God because we can't live with a holy God as sinners, but God has provided a way back to be with him. 
Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he'll be saved. God told Noah, put one door in the side of the ark. They had to go through the door to be saved. We need to go through the one door to be saved. Isn't that amazing how it all fits together? But you see, the majority of our Christian leaders, Christian college professors, in fact, in November, we have what's called Creation College at the Creation Museum, and young people, we, they register, and they come in free for this, and, and their families get um, discounted tickets to the Ark and so on. And we have the colleges. There's only a few. There's not that many of them, but there's a few. Christian colleges, Bible colleges, seminaries that take the same stand we do, and they come in and they seek out those colleges. It's, it's, it's tremendous. But the majority of Christian colleges will not take a stand on a literal genesis and say you can believe in millions of years. But see, if you believe in millions of years, all those fossils were laid down millions of years before man. You look on the fossil record, there's lots of evidence of animals eating each other, bones in their stomachs. Originally, God said Adam and Eve were to eat fruit, plants, and the animals were vegetarian. We couldn't even eat meat until after the flood when God said, just as I gave you the plants originally, now you can eat everything. It's the reason you can eat a hot dog, because it is everything. <laughs> so even the origin of a hot dog is in Genesis 1 to 11. Think about that. <laughs> if you believe in millions of years, you know what's in the fossil record? Lots of examples of diseases in the bones, tumours, arthritis, cancer, abscesses. If all that existed before man and after God created man, he said everything's very good, then you're accusing God of being responsible for death and disease. The Bible says, no, it's our sin. And you're accusing God of saying cancer's good. Very good. No, it's not. No, it's a fallen world. See, those two things can't be true at the same time, which means all those layers of fossils can't have been laid down over millions of years. Well, how do we explain fossils? What's the answer? You start with Genesis 1 to 11, the flood of Noah's day. If there was a global flood, you'd find billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the earth, which is what you find. Now, I don't have time to go through and give you lots of interesting evidences consistent with the flood. We could do that for the rest of the night. But I, I just want to deal with one other thing real quickly, and I do a whole talk on this, and we're not going to do that tonight, just real briefly. How do you deal with racism? You start with Genesis 1 to 11. The Tower of Babel was a very important event here. So let's give the history from the Bible. God made Adam and Eve. They had sons and daughters. Genesis 5-4. By the time of the flood, lots of people, but only eight went on that ship. They came off that ship, went through an event called the Tower of Babel. We're told that Noah and his wife and their three sons and wives came off the ship and what, do you, what does it say that these three were the sons of Noah and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed the Bible can't make it any more clearer you read Genesis 10 it talks about the dispersion of nations according to their languages and so on uh, which is what happened at the event of the Tower of Babel and because of the genetic diversity that God built into our DNA because there's so many possible combinations a phenomenal amount of uh, variety just like you have all the differences in dogs and in cats and in elephants it's the same in, in humans and so as they move away from each other depending on how isolated they are who marries who who dies out certain combinations of genes will will determine certain characteristics on the outside that reflect minor genetics but they become characteristic of those groups it's very easy to understand so they're people groups they're not races and you know there are people that say to me well how how do you explain different colors of people then well here's the interesting thing there aren't any different colors of people right? People say, well, there are black people and there are white people. There are no black people. There are no white people. Now, you might say, no, come on, you're a white person. I can prove to you in front of this audience, it's not a magic trick, I can prove to you using observational science that I'm not a white person and I can do it in less than a second. You want me to do it? Yeah. I'm not a white person. <laughs> Now, here's what we need to understand. The main pigment in our skin for skin colour is a pigment called melanin. It's a brown pigment, a couple of forms of it, actually. And, you know, high school genetics, it's much more complex than this, but to give you an idea, if big A, big B genes, a lot of melanin, little A, little B, a little bit. So if you had all big A's, big B's, you're very dark, what people call black, but you're actually dark brown. Little A, little B's, what people call white, but you're actually light brown. And you can have the whole range in the middle. And actually, here's an interesting thing. People say to me, what do you think of CRT, you know, uh, critical race theory? First of all, 
Here's, here's what you ask yourselves. Is its foundation God's word or man's word? What's its foundation? Man's word. Therefore, the worldview is wrong, regardless of anything else. Can you give an example where the worldview is wrong? Absolutely. What does CRT teach people? Judge human beings according to their outside. The Bible says you don't do that. It's not your outside that matters. It's your inside. It's who you are, your heart. And they divide people into black people and white people. Wait a minute. Where are you going to draw the line? Because we go from light all the way through to dark, and that's what you see in the whole world. See, it's all, it's all political. That's what it is. And it's all about control and other things. See, Adam and Eve, we believe, were middle brown that had a mixture of genes to enable all the variety that we see in the world today. And that means Adam and Eve could have had children who were dark through the light in one generation. At the church I was at this morning, there was a family came up and the husband very light, the wife was much darker, and they had kids that were lighter than both parents, fruited darker than both and then the parents. It's very easy to understand. That's why you have twins like this around the world. So I can give a whole talk on that. By the way, you know what this means? If we all go back to Adam and Eve, we're one race. There's no such thing as interracial marriage biologically because we're all one race. Right? The interracial marriage the Bible speaks against is the spiritual interracial marriage where a saved person should never knowingly marry an unsaved person. And that means there's no such thing as biracial marriages or biracial children. Why do we want to make that division when it's not true? We're all one race. So we're all one race children. Very important. Makes a big difference. So let's sum it all up. We are getting towards the end. It's just a long end. So two foundations, two worldviews, and two totally different worldviews because of what comes out of those worldviews. And when you start from God's word, it starts from Genesis 1 to 11. How do you get rid of that Christian castle, the Christian worldview? The devil knows you hit the word of God. And in this day and age, the attack has been leveled at Genesis 1 to 11. And sadly, many Christians have given up Genesis 1 to 11. And then they look up here and say, how do we deal with these problems that are not the problems, they're the symptoms. The problem is they have the wrong foundation. And so what our ministry is all about, the books we produce, the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum, what we do is we raise, help people raise up generations starting from God's word in Genesis 1 to 11 to have the right worldview, to then have the right doctrines and, and understanding what they believe and why. We equip them with answers to the skeptical questions of our day so they know how to deal foundationally with the problem so we can then deal with the symptoms that permeate the culture. And I want to leave us with one last thing here very quickly, and that is this. And I, I do this in the book Divided Nation in, a, in a more detail on this, but most Christians don't know how to argue with non-Christians today because they tend to argue at the worldview level, and you're not going to get anywhere ultimately if you do that. To give you a practical example, so I understand, I, we could give you many, many examples. I had a man come to me at a conference and he said, I'm gay. I believe in gay marriage, what do you say to that? And I said, well, I'm a Christian and my thinking starts from the Bible. Can I explain to you why I believe what I do? And you know what he said to me? I don't believe the Bible. Don't give me that Bible stuff. Give me, tell, tell me something else but not the Bible. Do you know one of the most asked questions I've been asked over the years from people in churches? Okay, when I'm witnessing to somebody who's not a Christian, they don't believe the Bible, what, 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 what can I give them because I can't use the Bible because I don't believe the Bible? And I say, wait a minute, you haven't been trained the right way. You haven't been taught to think the right way. You give up the Bible, you've given up your foundation. Then, then th that's lost. There's only one foundation left. The other person has it, man's word. And so it depends on the person, depends on what they say, how they say it, how you answer, but it, it sort of goes like this. You don't believe the Bible? No. Well, guess what? I do. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Why don't you believe the Bible? Do you think science has disproved the Bible or something? I mean, were you taught things at school? Maybe evolution? Why don't you believe the Bible? Tell me, what do you believe about where you came from? Tell me, where would you get that from? Why do you believe that that is true? Oh, can you defend that? Oh, how do you know that that's for sure? Do you know that 100% for sure? Are you sure about that? Tell me, do you believe people should believe in right and wrong? Tell me, what is right and what is wrong? Is murder right? Is it not right? Is it wrong? Why is it wrong? Tell me, should somebody else have the same right and wrong as you? Tell me why they should. Because isn't it all subjective? Objective, but you see the way they argue? You see, people, if you don't get them down to the foundational level and deal there, then ultimately it's not going to work up here. 
That's why a lot of times what's happening in the church, we're trying to change the culture from the top down. No, it starts with people's hearts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why what we need to be doing is doing our best to see people, one to the Lord, to build their thinking on the Bible, be saved for eternity so that they will have the right worldview. That's what it's all about. In other words, the most important thing is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when people don't believe the Bible, we have to deal with those issues to help them understand this is the word of God. And so we as Christians need to be leading the way in that. Well, so as I hand over to your pastor, hey, here's the message. The history in the Bible is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. Think foundationally and make sure you're equipped to give a defense, to give answers to everyone that asks you. And I'll hand over to your pastor. Thank you very much. Wow, what a great night. Would you please stand as I close our time tonight in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a powerful reminder that your word is true. Lord, we live in a day and age that rejects your word that buys the original lie of Genesis 3. But Lord, we thank you for a ministry like Answers in Genesis that stands for the truth and equips us to refute the lies of the enemy. So Lord, I pray for each one of us that we're strengthened by this. Lord, for those who, who didn't have a biblical worldview or a biblical foundation, I pray that you would convict their hearts and they would turn and embrace the reality that your word is true, including in Genesis 1 to 11. Lord, we thank you for a wonderful night. We pray that each one of us will be able to get home safely. And we pray that all that we would do would bring you honor and glory. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all for being here. We are dismissed.